How many of you are here Wednesday night? Yeah, how many of you heard me say that I didn't have a sermon for this Sunday and asked for prayer? Well, Thursday morning, <laughs> Thursday morning I had a little bit of a revelation. God kind of told me, I'm not done with last week yet. So this is kind of a... Uh, Part two, yeah, there you go. I don't like two-part sermons. Sorry, Pastor Jeff, if you're listening, but uh, I find sermon series hard to preach. Uh, so last week's title was Save It's Struggling. Brad, give him this week's title. Victory. Yeah. Well... Anyone remember what we were talking about last week? Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, we were talking about struggling with sin even though we're saved. We went through the Old and New Testaments. I gave you an example of biblical heroes that struggled with the same thing. We spent a lot of time on Paul's letter in Romans 7. Uh, that's verses 14 to 25. We're not going to go over that again this morning. And at the end, we determined that the only way to deal with all this was Jesus. Naturally, Jesus is the answer. But we kind of left it there. And what I want to talk about today, and more importantly, what I think God wants us to look at today, is that victory in Jesus in a little bit more detail. Now, for those of you who were here this past Wednesday night, Brother Dick gave a very, very good lesson on the heart. He talked about how desperately wicked the heart can be. He spoke about all the good things that can come out of the heart. Now, we all know that once we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. That's, that's the point, I guess you could, you could say. But I think what we don't know or what we choose to ignore a lot of times is, is the access that the Holy Spirit has to us, to our spirit. He can look at the deepest parts of us. Uh, in Psalms 139, verses 7 to 12, it says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So, so God can see into us the very depths of us. And that, that means God can see those sins of the heart, those, how do you want to say it, habitual sins, let's call them, that, that, that we struggle with on a daily basis, even as saved Christians. Well, the victory that God gives us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's what we want to look at this morning. So I, I want to start with Jesus' first victory over Satan. You remember in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, that's the same Spirit that's in us, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your feet on a stone, your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Now, I think that particular scripture is pretty ingrained in us as Christians. We've, we've heard it a lot over the years. And it's kind of a roadmap on resisting sin. What, it, what did Jesus use to resist the devil? He used scripture, right? Even though the devil used scripture against him, but he perverted the this, this scripture. He twisted it. Jesus fought him off by using it correctly. Well, that's our first clue, I think. That's why we're told so often to read our Bible. You know, I think like 90% of the homes in the United States have a Bible laying someplace. What's the old joke? The, uh, the preacher came to dinner one night, and when he left, they noticed the spoon was missing. And, and a year went by, and the preacher came back to dinner again, and the, and the lady had to ask him, she said, did you take our spoon? He said, no, I put it in your Bible. Judy, I need a rim shot. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, at, at, our, at my age, I'm not going to say our age because there's a lot of you young folks out there. At my age, it's hard to memorize things. I find that when needed, though, a particular verse of Scripture will come to mind. You know, in a situation when I'm, when I'm in trouble or when I'm witnessing to somebody or, or just when I need it for, for something, a particular scripture will come to mind. So here's another verse we can discuss, and it's about temptation. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Oh, my goodness. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, there's a couple things to look at here. Last week, we talked about actually being here with other Christians, how that helps to loosen us up to talk about our problems. How do we know our temptations are no different from others if we don't come to talk to those others? And that's, and that's here. I'm sorry, I, I did too much work yesterday and my hand is shaking, so I'm going to use my left hand. The other thing about this verse is that God will always show you a way out. Now, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that because when something comes at me, it's not always easy to see that way out. Um, it never seems to be obvious to me. Well, I think that's because you have to look for it. God wants us to look for that way out. He provides it, but he, we have to look for it. Um, the other thing is the last phrase of that line, so you can endure. Now, does, does that make it sound like it's going to be easy? No. See, 
doesn't mean the way out's going to be easy. That's why we often struggle to find it, because in our humanness, we're looking for the easy way out. God provides a way out, but sometimes it's a difficult way. And, and we don't like that. I know I don't like that, but that's the way it is. Now, now stay with me. Think about this. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, our sin is forgiven because we believe that he bore our sins when he died upon the cross. But that's only the first step. That's the first step of victory over sin. We have to then appropriate his righteousness in our daily lives. That means, what's, what's the old line? Moving from glory to glory. Well, sometimes it doesn't feel like glory to glory, but, but we have to grow. That's what empowers us to live a victorious life free of sin. Now, free of sin. How many of you here are free of sin? No? <laughs> well, we, we always say that all for, fall short of sin on a daily basis, fall short and sin on a daily basis. Well, absolutely, right? Uh, look at 1 John, verse, uh, 1 John 1, verses 8 to 10. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now, John wasn't writing to pagan sinners here. He was writing to believers. Uh, he continues this in the uh, opening verse of chapter 2. In 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So, so we can't put on a self-righteous pride and say we're done with sin as Christians. Whenever we do that, it separates us from the rest of the world that Jesus died to save. And we're not supposed to be separated from the world, right? In it, not of it. We must never forget that we are all sinners saved by grace. So how does that work to allow us to live a sin-free life? Well, we touched on it briefly last week. The word was grace, right? What happens when we catch ourselves in sin? The Holy Spirit convicts us, right? You get that little twinge back here that says, ah, I'm not sure that's the best thing to do. And then we repent and we ask for forgiveness. Well, God forgives us, but what does Scripture say about that forgiveness? In Psalms 103, verses 12 to 14, it says, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. When you confess a sin to God and repent of it, there are two things you need to do. What's repentance mean? It means I turn around and I walk the other way, basically. I walk away from it. Is that easy? No, it's hard. And a lot of times it takes two, three, four, half a dozen times of doing that to get to the point where you can actually walk away from it. 
The second thing is, stop listening to Satan when he keeps bringing it up to you. Because he will. That's what he does. That's his job. He's going to bring it up over and over and over again. But God has forgiven and forgotten it. Remember back in the first, one of the first scriptures we read, in Matthew 4, in verse 10, he, Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. And in Romans 5, verses 16 and 17, it says, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads us to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And I know there's a lot of scripture here this morning, but let's look at one more. Hebrews 4, verse 15. So then, we, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So grace to help us when we sin, right? Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion of whether or not Jesus had the capacity to sin. Theologians have been arguing that for decades. Well, actually hundreds of years. <laughs> for me, it really doesn't get any simpler than Hebrews 4. Jesus was tempted in every way just like us. When we are tempted, we have the capacity to either yield to the temptation and sin, or we can overcome the temptation, passing the test and letting God's glory and righteousness be seen in us. And again, Jesus was tempted in every way like us. That means not only did he face the same kind of temptations, but Christ also had to pass the test because the possibility to sin was real. He can not only feel our pain because he's endured temptation, but Jesus can also empower us to overcome temptation because he was victorious over sin. It's the old, if he can do it, I can do it thing, right? So how do we use that? Well, what's authority? You want to take a shot at what authority is? I'll give you the Webster, Webster's definition. It's the power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. Or maybe more appropriate for our discussion this morning, it's the freedom granted by one in authority. What authority do we have in Christ? Well, what authority did Jesus have? In Matthew 28, verses 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. If you look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 11, verses 19 to 23, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What's that worship song? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is in me. 
Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. It's us. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, if I was a lawyer, I could give you a long lecture on the power of attorney. But basically, that's what Christ does for us, is he gives us the power. Now, in Colossians 2, Paul says, in, in verses 14 and 15, it says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Any, anybody remember Carmen's old song? The, the uh, what was it, the boxer, the fighter? I forget how that was. But it, it's a very long song. And, the champion, that's it. It's a very long song, and at the end, Jesus wins, right? Jesus has freed us from the do domination of sin in our lives. In other words, he's given us authority Everything that the devil had on us, Jesus erased by the blood. He made a show of the devil by nailing all of our sins to the cross. So we don't walk in defeat, but victory over sin, over Satan and all the powers of this world. Now, now do I need to read that again? No, right? You guys got it? If you don't believe me, look at 1 John 4, verse 4. But you belong to God, my dear children, you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. In Luke 10, verse 19, it says, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Now, if you're going to walk among snakes and scorpions, I recommend you go back to that, that other scripture that says, Do not tempt the Lord thy God. Just, just to get it clear. Jesus, in this verse, Jesus gave his disciples authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. That means that we, as his disciples, have the same authority. Sin is a power the enemy uses against us, but we have authority over it. So that's why you have a choice, right? When, when sin presents itself, you have a choice. The, the old uh, Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, that's not going to work anymore because we know better now. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, King James Version uses bind instead of forbid, but it, it means the same thing. So, I've just shown you that we have power and authority of sin, right? So what happened? Why are we still struggling? Well, in James 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, sometimes that's spiritual death, sometimes it's death depending upon what, what you're doing. Now, if you've been here Wednesday night and you heard Dick's teaching on the heart, 
I think you'd start to get it. It's a heart problem, isn't it? Look at this. Mark 7, verses 17 to 23, it says, Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that the food that you put into your body cannot defile you? They were talking about what you eat and drink and stuff like that. Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and, goes, and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile us. Doesn't sound like the fruit of the Spirit, does it, Judy? No. But let's face it, sin feels good. That's one of the reasons why we do it. That's what, and, and if it didn't feel good, most Christians wouldn't do it. it. It seems like the easy way, and a lot of times we jump right in without thinking, looking, or praying about it. We need to use the power and authority we have been given to fight sin on a daily basis. Well, how do we do that? I like to call myself a reality engineer. People ask me what I do for a living and I look at them and I say, I keep buildings from falling down on your head. So I like practical solutions. So let's look at a few. In Mark 7, Jesus actually gives us a list of most of the things we face daily. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. How do we fight these? Well, Christ gave us authority over sin, right? Because we have a human heart, it is difficult for us. Again, Jesus is the answer through his word. I know it seems trite, but as Marlene often says in Sunday school, speak the word out loud. One of my pastors used to put it, Satan can't read your mind. It's okay to yell scripture at him. And, and if my wife were here, she'd tell you all about that because I can remember times when she used to walk through the house screaming at him. So, and those of you who know Marion know that she can scream. Uh, um, so I'm going to leave you today with these thoughts. Don't worry, we're nowhere near the end yet. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Wow, that's so simple. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives so you don't do what the sinful nature craves. In other words, use the spirit that's within you. Well, how do you do that? Talk to God through prayer. Yeah, I know sometimes he doesn't always answer you. You only hear a voice every once in a hundred years or so. But the Holy Spirit hears, and you can feel what God wants. Romans 8, verses 5 to 6 says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. 
but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Thought life is one of the keys to survival in this business. Taking every thought captive. How many of you heard that? We need to take every thought captive. It's easier said than done sometimes, but it's a good principle to live by. What does it mean? Well, when something catches your eye and it's a sin or can lead to sin, put it out of your mind as soon as you can. If you dwell on it, you will act on it. I can guarantee you that. I'm living proof of that before I got saved. If, if, you, can, if you dwell on those thoughts, you're going to act on those thoughts. I really need a drink. I really need a smoke. Boy, isn't she cute. All those things. You know, you got to get them out of there as, as soon as you can. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That, that transformation of the way you think, that, that takes some time after you get saved. You read the word, you pray to God, you go, go to church with other Christians, you fellowship with other Christians, and gradually your mind gets transformed. Don't behave the way the world does. The things you see happening around you are usually not Christian in nature. Moral relativism, that's a fancy word for if it doesn't, if it doesn't hurt you, you shouldn't care about it. If what I'm doing doesn't hurt you, you shouldn't care about it. Moral relativism, relativism has taken over the United States. People no longer believe in moral absolutes. We need more than ever to have a moral compass. There are 10 absolute moral laws, and you all know what they are. Jesus did not nullify them as the progressive church teaches. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at Matthew 5, 17 and 18, and this is, this is two verses of scripture that a lot of people miss. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. What's the King James Version say? I love it. Not one jot or tittle of the law. Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, this one is pretty easy. Instead of fixating on the bills are due, you know, I don't feel good, I'm having a rough day at work, focus on the good things. Take Paul's advice, think of excellent things. Everybody has something in their life that's excellent. You know, it's, it's, and for, it's different for every person, but that's what you need to fix your mind on when things aren't going too well. And lastly, and I guess we are going to finish early, um, take Paul's advice on the rat race that we're living in. 
In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. Now, we just covered how we get disciplined in the Word, okay? You read the Bible, you pray to God, you go to church. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with, the purpose, with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete. That means it hurts sometimes. You know, you, you have to keep pushing through. You have to keep doing the thing. Even when, read your Bible, even when it doesn't seem like the thing to do. And it's so easy to tell yourself, I don't have to do that today. You know? And it's real easy when, you, when something happens and you don't do it for the enemy to get in there and say, oh, you, you, you missed two days now. You know, you can never go back and read the Bible again because you missed two days. Don't listen to that crap because that's exactly what it is. You know, he'll get in there and try, try his best to keep you out of the Word, keep you out of church, keep you away from Christian friends. You know, it's... Uh, What's, what's the old line from the, uh, from the TV show? It's a place where everybody knows your name. That's here, not the local bar. You know, we all know each other's names. Some of us better than others. You know, I remember a few of you. But that, that's, that's pretty much it, folks. You're, you're out again early. I trust that Pastor Jeff will use the extra time next week and the week after and, you know, week after that. But uh, let's, let's pray. Father, your word is, is just a wonderful place to live, and I, I thank you for it, and I pray that we can all spend time in it this week and, and that you speak to us through it. Uh, Lord, I just feel led to pray that uh, the people that are hurting, the people that uh, have an illness that uh, need a touch from you, get that today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Get that touch of healing and of, of love that God has for them. And Father, I ask that you watch over us as we go our separate ways today. I ask that we can, uh, we can just be the Christians that you want us to be, Lord, that we can uh, spread your word. And Lord, I thank you. Thank you for this place and for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. See you all next week and Wednesday night.